It's good to hear all the kids' activity next door and uh, life in the building. And uh, it's good to see you here on uh, Labor Day weekend with uh, terrific weather outside. And yet you've chosen to be here. I uh, appreciate that. And uh, pray this would be a great uh, Sunday service for you. And, you know, any service is a great service if God speaks to you. You know, if somehow either you connect with the Lord, uh, then it's a great service. Uh, and hopefully you've already connected with the Lord just through worship. But I uh, pray that uh, as I speak and preach today, that the Lord will speak to you. And that you'd say this is a meaningful, significant uh, Sunday because uh, Jesus in, is in the business of speaking to our lives personally, imparting hope to us, uh, sorting out our problems that we can't sort out. And uh, God is always in the business of change. Uh, we always like dealing with change and we're dealing with surprises. Uh, when it comes to God, uh, God is always on the move and he's always up to stuff that uh, we can't fathom out. And we're trying to uh, figure out, God, what are you up to and how do we participate in that? And, uh, you know, God loves us and sometimes it's a little overwhelming how personal God can be. Uh, and sometimes God's ways are mysterious, like we think God should act this way and he acts in a totally different way. Uh, sometimes, you know, the way we think we, we should receive God's love is different to the way God actually loves on us. And God is like mysterious. We can't put God in a box. Uh, and yet, at the same time, God is for us. And he's always asking us, you know, to get behind what it is that he's doing. If we can sort of fathom out and figure out what God's up to and be part of that, we're onto something awesome. But when we're onto our own thing, and then we say, God, you know, just like bless us on our own thing, it's always a struggle. So, you know, as we deal with uh, change and, and the goodness of God and the mysterious ways of God, uh, we do that together. Uh, in fact, I want to have Jim uh, come share. Um, you know, one of the, one, the fun things uh, when it's the middle of summer is to talk about winter. I don't know if you guys do that, but, you know, in the middle of winter, you talk about all the summer vacation stuff. And so uh, uh, last winter, Jim and I went, well, Jim invited me to go on something ridiculously uh, uh, adventurous and was a lot of fun. And I really enjoyed it. And that was go cross-country skiing up in, in Maine where you park your car sort of like way in the woods and you ski in for like, I don't know how many miles, and then you, 15 miles, and then you pay like an outrageous amount of money for like a real top class hotel, except you're staying in a bunk where you've got to heat the cabin up with a wood stove, but it was really worth it, I, I highly recommend it. Uh, and anyway, so uh, Jim, uh, I don't want to steal your thunder, you tell the story, uh, you share your testimony, Jim's got a, a good story here to, to tell. And okay. Thanks for letting me tell it. Uh, well, uh, it's still kind of early. I don't know if I'll be... Uh, before I do, I just want to give a little context so you can follow the story because um, Rob asked me to tell it. Um, and I want to make sure you guys try to get it, it without me repeating myself. So, uh, Before I do, though, I think uh, one of the things that hit me this morning when I was uh, here worshiping was uh, a story of Jesus saving that woman... Uh, who had committed adultery, and she was about to be stoned. And uh, I'm here in testimony that he does that. 
He's shown up in my life on a number of occasions when I didn't expect it. Stood in front of me in trouble. Uh, kept me from doing something I shouldn't have or some just miraculous thing. There's a lot of stories like that throughout my life. And this is one of them. Um, another three pieces of context to help you, though. Uh, one is, why am I here now? And why have I come back to this church? Uh, the reason is, I'm, I've asked God uh, really to really fill me with the Holy Spirit and help me focus less on myself and be less self-absorbed and focus more on being a good dad, a good husband, and a good friend. It's really easy for me to get totally into my vision. I do it a lot, and uh, I need help with that. So that's one of the reasons I'm here. The uh, other piece of context I wanted to give you is a little story about this ring. This is what we're going to talk about. This was my grandmother's, well, my grandmother gave me this ring. It was my grandfather's wedding ring. And she gave it to me uh, about 10 years after he died, and I saved it. And it's my, my ring. So. And the third piece of the context, before I tell the story, is wilderness, right? So I'm reading this book that Adam recommended called uh, Wild at Heart. And it says, Adam, if you remember, was created outside the garden, in the wilderness. In the record of the beginning, the second chapter of Genesis makes it clear. Man was born in the outback, from the untamed part of the creation. Only after was he brought into Eden. So twice a year I journey into the wilderness and try to um, find time with God. And that's one of the things that we did. So the story is we skied in. It was a beautiful first day and uh, sunny and clear. And this was the, actually, if you remember last winter, it was the, literally the day before the big storm hit. So we arrived, it was sunny, and we got slammed. Um, so it was fantastic in that regard. Uh, second day, we skied into the, we, you, what you do is you drop your bags and you ski to one camp. They bring your bags with you, you arrive, you have a heated cabin that you stay in, Rob and I shared one, and then you go for a community dinner and then you go back to your cabin when you want quiet time. The next day you do the same thing and then you do it again. So we did three days of that. On the second day we got, we had a beautiful ski and we got to the hut, we had lunch, and uh, I said, you know, Rob, let's, let's do another run. And he goes, all right. So we got outside the cabin, and I said, you know, I'm, I've got all this vineyard music on my iPhone. Let's, let's rock out to the Lord, man. Let's crank and have a really good ski. So he goes, all right. So we, I take my glove off, and I'm messing with my iPhone, and I put it in this little netted thing, because you have a pack on with all this uh, layered gear in case anything happens. And I got the iPhone in my kind of netted part of my pocket so you could hear it. And we just cranked for two solid hours through deep snow because we were cutting trail a lot of this time because it had been snowing hard. And we had a lot of fun, and Rob was telling me he hadn't heard some of this music, made me feel good that I was giving back to him a little. And uh, it was just fantastic. I mean, the snow is coming down, and we're just cranking to this vineyard music. Anyway, I can go on for that for a while. We get back to the cabin, and we get inside, and we uh, sat down next to the fire, and I go, hey, Rob. I lost my wedding ring. And he's like, oh, Jim, it could be anywhere. I mean, we went miles. We turned around, went back, we got stuck. I mean, so I said, well, we got to pray. And he, Rob's like, okay, but, uh, <laughs> you know, I don't know if you, you should expect the ring to just appear. It, you know, there's three feet of snow and we're in Maine. I said, Rob, we got to pray. So we prayed. Uh, 
And then we left. I left a little note on the wall, and you know, we talked about it on the ride back. We didn't really have high hopes in getting it back. And uh, then the spring came, and it was my grandmother's birthday, the woman who gave me the ring. You got that picture? Picture. And I get a phone call from this guy in Maine, and he says, "Hey, are you Jim Chase?" I'm like, "Yeah." He goes, "Well, I'm up here in Maine, and I was doing trail maintenance, and I just found this ring." <laughs> on my grandmother's birthday. So I called up Rob, and he's like, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> Hi, Faith. I mean... Uh... <laughs> so uh, this is just another example of how, you know, when you don't expect it, he just, you know, pulls out a miracle like that. Uh, to me, it blew me away. So we're going to do this trip again. Last weekend in January. Please join us. Speak to Jim. Yeah. It's yeah. high risk, high reward. Speak to Jim. It's in the wilderness, it's a blast, and it's totally safe. <laughs> <laughs> and you can bring your wife. Oh, yes, absolutely. And teenagers, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Thanks, Thank Jim. You. Bless you. You know, there's so many ways you can cut and slice and dissect that, but ultimately God is good. You know, now you could sit and say, okay, so why would God care about Jim's ring, of all things? I mean, there's lots of bigger things, more significant problems, because God is God. God is mysterious. Uh, when, you, when we try and put human logic onto God and then try and reason with God, you will just miss out on the goodness, the faithfulness of God. God, it's not, you know, it's not rational the way God pours out his love. You know, honestly, when Jim said to me, we should pray, we're standing in like, I mean, there's like this much snow. And I'm like, pray? I'm like, yeah, okay, but I mean, it's a ring. You know, like, and then Jim's like, no, I'm coming back in the spring with a metal detector. I'm like, it's a hundred mile wilderness. I mean, it's like, I'm, you know. So God is good. I mean, it's just, there's just no explanation for the incredible goodness of God and how God loves us and uh, surprises us. Uh, and yet, as Jim you know, said leading up to this, Jim has gone through a whole bunch of change. I mean, coming back to church and, you know, it's like any of you, if you you know, weren't in church before. I mean, there's stuff that you're kind of like, okay, I like this, but I really don't like this. And, you know, uh, you're trying to fit in with church people. And, and okay, uh, Jim's saying, you know, I want to put, like, God first. And it's been a struggle because, you know, his whole family's not buying into it. And it's like, okay, but I'm walking that walk and saying, I, I just want to put God first. And then, you know, seeing God's uh, goodness and, you know, this is a tangible way of seeing God's goodness. There's other ways that God has been just so good and faithful that are less obvious to explain. But having a ring that was lost and is now found is pretty, is pretty easy. But <clears throat> God is in the business of change, uh, changing us and having seasons of change. And uh, if you're a teenager, you're familiar with change. I mean, like it's all you know is change. I mean, your body changes every year dramatically. Uh, you know, for a teenager, you know, one year ahead is like eternity. 
you know, you tell somebody like in a year's time I'll get your driver's license, it's like, oh, that's forever. You know, for, a, for an older folk like me, you think of a year, it's like a year. I mean, what's a year? You know, I mean, you say four years. I mean, in a teenager's life, four years is like, what? I mean, look at the young tots coming up into high school. You think, are these high schoolers? They're tiny. Yeah, well, they change. You look at a senior and all of a sudden they look like giants. You know, I mean, like we all went through that. But for, you know, high school kids, they used to change. Change is not like a problem. I mean, uh, it's a problem trying to keep up with the change. But then as you get, you know, on the other end of life spectrum, change is a problem. And you're always trying to, like, manage it. And you're trying to keep everything the same. And, and God is always changing. And God wants to change us. And uh, so what I want you to get out of the sermon today, you've got to hear me closely on this. And that is this. I would like you to spend some time with God either today, this week, uh, even right now. But the question I want you to ask God is this. God, what do you want me to change? Okay, and the reason I want you to get this is because I don't want you to misunderstand. It's not what do you want to change. What do you think needs to get done? It's not your to-do list. It's not about the things that you think are a priority. It's asking Jesus, Jesus, what do you want me to change in my life? And will you help me to change? It's a different kind of a question. And you really need to be listening. Okay, Jesus, what is it that you want me to do? Now, here's the challenge uh, for those of you that are going to take me up on this. I would like you to spend some time this week, today, whenever, and ask Jesus that question and see what it is that you sense the Lord is telling you that he wants you to change. And then in two months' time, at the end of October, when we, like at the end of the, you know, coming to the end of the fall season, I want to ask you, well, what did, what did you do? What did you feel like Jesus wanted you to change and, and what changed? I mean, was there a connection with Jesus over the next two months? Okay, so you're going to ask Jesus, what is it you want me to change? And in two months' time, the end of October, I'm going to ask you, what did Jesus want you to change and how did it go? What changed? And I want to hear your story, right? So, you know, that might be a really obvious thing. Maybe right on the top of your head, you know Jesus is telling you, look, I want you to deal with this thing. Uh, but on the others, for others of you, it might be, no, I really need to... Just take a little bit of time and be with Jesus and uh, think about that. So uh, <clears throat> let me just invite the Spirit of God to be here with me. Uh, Jesus, I just ask you to help me to preach today. Uh, Jesus, you ask that uh, we would be transformed. Uh, you ask that we would be constantly changing to become more like you, Jesus. And uh, Lord, we are constantly resisting. Uh, and I ask, Lord, that you would allow us to hear your voice again, fresh. Uh, so, Jesus, I just lift up this morning. I just pray that you would uh, fill your words with your Holy Spirit that penetrate our hearts uh, so that we will change because you, we want to change. Uh, so, Lord, we just want to please you, and I just pray for this sermon today. In your name, Jesus. Amen. I've uh, titled uh, the sermon, Changing for Good, and uh, that title is slightly ambiguous because, like, what do you exactly mean by changing for good? Uh, but I, 
I'm just asking that uh, Jesus would change us to become more like him, that we would change for the better. And if you've got a Bible, why don't you open it to uh, Luke chapter 5. And if you're an iPhone, uh, just using the New Living Translation, NLT. Uh, Luke uh, chapter 5, verse 27. Anybody else want a Bible? Help yourself to one up front here. Luke chapter 5, verse 27. <clears throat> it's subtitled, Jesus Calls Levi, or Matthew. And you talk about dramatic change. Uh, this story starts off with fairly dramatic change with very little to say about it. Later, as Jesus left the town, he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting in his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple. Jesus said to him. So Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Wow. I mean, picture the scene. Here's uh, Levi sitting in this little tax collector's booth, hot and dusty and whatever not. Jesus comes by and says, follow me and be my disciple. And Levi says, no problem. Just gets up and follows Jesus. He doesn't say, Jesus, what's your plan for my life? Uh, how am I going to make ends meet? Uh, what does it actually mean to be a disciple? Uh, what does today look like? No, just like gets up and follows Jesus. I mean, that's like incredible right there. Uh, but something must have been percolating in Levi, the tax collector's heart. I mean, to make him that ready and that willing to respond Something was going on. Now, uh, you know, one thing we know wasn't happening in Levi's heart. He wasn't short of money. I mean, tax collectors typically were sort of wealthy. Not for the right reasons. I mean, it'd be like going down the Mass Pike, and you know the toll is 90 cents, but when you get there, the guy's like a buck 50, and you say, hey, I'm not pulling a trailer. Too bad, a buck 50. And you say, well, it's a buck fifty. If you don't give me a buck fifty, you're not going on. I mean, that's the way tax collectors work. They knew what the rate was. They could charge anything they liked and get away with it. I mean, these guys were wealthy, and they were hated because of that. I mean, you go through. I mean, you might get irritated paying the toll here, but when the guys charge you more than what you want, and then it's not only that. It's like the guy works for ISIS. It's like not just you know. I mean, it's like. Who are you? You know, I'm giving you money, you're extorting it out of me, and you're working for the Roman government, and I don't like the Roman government, and you're a Jew, and I'm a Jew, and like you're on the wrong side. It's like, you know, there's a lot of resentment there. But in Levi's case, he's saying, there's something missing in my life, and it's not money. I got enough money, but there's emptiness. And he's like banking on following Jesus as a disciple and saying, okay, I. I don't know what this all means exactly, but there's got to be more to my life than sitting in a dusty tax collector's toll booth and making money. There's just got to be more to life than that. And so he's willing to follow Jesus. Now, of course, uh, the rest of the story unfolds, and it says, Later, Levi held a banquet in his home with Jesus as a guest of honor. Many of Levi's fellow tax collectors and other guests also ate with them. Now, who's his friends? 
follow fellow tax collectors because he can't make friends with anybody else. He doesn't have any other friends. It's the only friends he's got are other crooks and criminals that are like likewise, you know. Uh, that's all he's got. And verse 30 gives us an insight to what other people think about tax collectors. But the Pharisees and their teachers of religious law complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples. Why do you eat and drink with such scum? Wow. Okay, there you got it. So there's no tolerance from the religious crowd. Clearly they are total evil. They are scum. They are traitors. They like, and Jesus, you're supposed to be like this righteous teacher, and this doesn't add up. You like hanging out with the wrong crowd. And then in this short little parable, Jesus says a whole lot with very few words. And Jesus answered them, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. And it's just such a wonderful word picture. I mean, it's so like, you know, duh. I mean, only a doctor, like, trains the whole life to become a doctor, to hang out with people that are, like, really contagious and sick. And like everybody else, like, don't come near me. Even if you've got a cold, I mean, like, excommunicated, just like, Anyone perfectly healthy, normal people, but if you've got a germ around you, get away. You know, no, I mean, like, think of doctors. They go out to, like, Ebola places, you know, and, like, just say, I want to help the sick. I mean, Jesus is essentially saying, that's who he is. He's coming to help people that are sick. And he's saying, not only, like, sick, sick, but, like, people that are sick of sitting in a toll collector's booth, you know, like life is sick. And he's saying, I've come to help those people. And then the very difficult thing for us to fathom is that we're basically all sick. I mean, you know, many of us sitting in church like realize that. It's like, I'm sick. I need Jesus. I mean, I'm just like, my life is not perfect. There's a lot of emptiness, a lot of holes, a lot of shortcomings. I need Jesus. I'm just like... The but before I came to church, church was just like such a mystery to me. I don't know what people did in church. I don't know why they went to church. I don't know what they got out of church. And it was like, hey, listen, just bless those guys. Do whatever you do. You're real nice people. Like, whatever you do in church, just do all that nice stuff. But I don't need church. I mean, like, I'm not sick. And then, like, finally, somehow, the Jesus, like, light shines on. It's like, wait, I'm really sick. I need Jesus. I mean, it's like a real revelation. Uh, it's not always a revelation that's so obvious. I mean, many of our friends and neighbors think their lives are just like awesome. Uh, and they'll say, you're a nice person. Just go to church. Do whatever you do in church. Do churchy, churchy stuff and just be nicey, nice. And just, you know, just don't talk to, about Jesus with me. But, you know, no. I, I, then all of a sudden you realize, hey, we all need Jesus. I mean, it doesn't matter how rich you are or how sick you are. You, we, we need Jesus. Jesus says, I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. You know, it's a supernatural thing when that sort of switch goes off and we know that we thought we were like righteous and we realize we're not righteous, we're really lacking. We need Jesus. We are a sinner. That's a, really, it's a wonderful moment when we come to that realization, I need Jesus. And Jesus is saying, that's my point. I'm not coming to anybody that thinks they got it all together and doesn't need me. You're on your own. Do your own thing. You don't need me. Fine. But if you do need me, Jesus is saying, I'm the doctor. Come and see me. I want to heal you. I want to help you. It's, a, it's an awesome thing. Even 
if you're the outcast, even if you're part of one of those people, you know, the tax collectors, you're not the in crowd. So whether you're the in crowd or the out crowd, Jesus says, if you want me, I want to see you. I'm the doctor. I'll help. So the, if you're following along with my sermon insert and uh, you want to fill in the blanks, the first point I want to know is knowing you need Jesus. I mean, there's something uh, when we're changing for good. If we want to allow Jesus to change us and transform us, knowing that we need Jesus. And the more we know that we need Jesus, the more powerful Jesus works in our, in our lives. The, the less you think of Jesus and the less you think Jesus is able to change us and transform us, the less you, you, you tend to see Jesus moving and changing and transforming us in, in our own lives. So uh, it's a good thing to know that you need Jesus. And that's Jesus' point here. But then, and, and the reason I'm actually taking a fairly large chunk of Scripture, uh, because I actually wanted to really just focus on what's coming up, but in the Synoptic Gospels, that's Matthew, Mark, and Luke, this whole section is in all those Gospels as a whole section. So I thought, well, you know, this whole calling of Levi uh, seems to have something to do with the rest of the story, uh, and here's the rest of the story. Because it seems to me the first reading would be maybe they're not connected. Because in verse 33 it says, One day some people said to Jesus, John the Baptist's disciples fast and pray regularly, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees. Why are your disciples always eating and drinking? And then, just like in the previous section, with very few words, Jesus says a whole lot of profound stuff which really makes you pause and think and say, okay, I, I don't know that I can digest everything that Jesus is saying straight away. And this is what he says. Do wedding guests fast while celebrating with the groom? Of course not. But someday the groom will be taken away from them and they will fast. And you're like, okay, uh, what's so profound about that? What's Jesus really getting to with that? But you've got to understand, when Jesus says to the religious people of the day, and he says, do wedding guests fast while celebrating with the groom? I mean, it's two things. There. The first is the obvious. Nobody's going to go to a wedding and say, okay, look, I'm fasting today. You know, no wine for me, no food for me. I'm just like being very down. It's like that would be so totally inappropriate and insensitive to a celebration. I mean, that, that part we get, that, that sticks with us. But Jesus is also saying, do wedding guests fast while celebrating with the groom? And, okay, so think of the hearers. They think, wait, do celebrate with the groom? To the religious people of the day, the Jewish people of the day, they knew that the bride was Israel, the Jewish people, and God was the groom. And they knew that, okay, even though the Jewish people were a little wayward, a little adulterous, a, a, a little like, you know, devious, they were God's chosen people, and Jesus and God is going to make it all good, and he's going to woo them back, and it's going to be the perfect connection with the groom and the bride. And Jesus is, is sort of saying to him, he says, wait a minute, I'm the groom. I am God. Is, is what the hearers are hearing. And then he goes on. 
And he says, but someday the groom will be taken away from them and then they will fast. And clearly he's talking about, I'm going to be crucified. And that would be the appropriate time to like start fasting and feeling like, okay, God's left me. Uh, And yet God, you know, Jesus is also just sowing that seed and he's saying, wait a bit. A A new covenant is being set up here where the groom is Jesus and the bride is the church. And it's like putting this seed with these Jewish people that there's a transformation about to take place here. So, you know, he's saying a lot in not a lot of words here. And then Jesus moves on and he gives him another illustration. No one tears a piece of cloth from a new garment and uses it to patch an old garment. For then the new garment would be ruined and the new patch wouldn't even match the old garment. Okay, so that little parable Jesus is basically saying, don't ruin the new thing. Don't take the new garment and ruin it with this little patch you're going to cut out to somehow other, you know, change and restore something that's old. Jesus is saying, we're up to a new covenant. We're on to a new covenant. Something new is about to happen. Don't, like, keep the old thing and ruin the new thing. And that analogy doesn't always, like, stick with us. Don't always remember it. But this one always sticks with, with us. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, for the new wine would burst the wineskins, spilling the wine and ruining the skins. New wine must be stored in new wineskins. Now, in the New Living Translation, this next verse, we've got to read this uh, twice. But no one who drinks the old wine seems to want the new wine. The old is just fine, they say. What's not being said there is, you know, old wine is really great stuff, and we don't want the junky new wine. That's not what's being said. What is being said is, we don't want change. We just like it the way it was. The old wine is just fine. Don't give me this new stuff, and don't give me the new wineskin. And Jesus is saying, listen, something new is happening. You put new things in a new article, a new wineskin. And uh, there needs to be a sense of, wow, okay. Now, we don't drink wine from wineskins. So, you know, within church talk, you'll often hear, oh, we need to pour new wine into a new wineskin. But if you try and use that, you know, analogy outside of church, people are like, what are you talking about? But if somebody came to you and said, you know, uh, I don't know, like computer speak, and you say, you know, I just want my latest program on a floppy disk. Will you please just give it to me on a floppy? Because my computer has floppy disks and I don't have internet connection. You know, and the teens are saying, what's a floppy disk? I mean, like, I've never heard of that thing. It's so like archaic. You know, or, you know, you, 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 I don't know. You, you, it's got something it needs like Windows 10, uh, you know, and you're trying to run it on Windows 95. It's just like it, the thing doesn't work. You, it's just like it's too slow. Uh, like change happens, and we need uh, to upgrade to stay current. I mean, uh, you know, so if you're following along with my sermon outline, the second point I'm trying to make here uh, when Jesus is talking about uh, the groom and the wedding, uh, he's saying responding for the right reasons at the right time is important. Not just any old reason, not just any old time, but when the groom is with you and you're having a celebration, you respond. Responding for the right reasons at the right time. And then the, the third point I'm trying to make here is that 
we need an upgrade. We need a change uh, to the new software with new hardware. We can't just like try and mix these things, and when you do, it just like crashes. We, we've all experienced the frustration of our computers just working beautifully, and then all of a sudden, they crash for some reason because you loaded, downloaded, accidentally loaded something uh, that was new, and it just blew up the whole system. And Jesus is saying, don't blow up. Just like allow change to happen, upgrade for the right reasons at the right time, and stay with the program that Jesus is uh, is doing. Stay with what Jesus is doing in your life. Don't get stuck in the past just because you got comfortable in the past. Be ready to allow Jesus to constantly uh, transform you, to change you, to mold you, to shape you. Uh, God is always up to stuff. Uh, you know, one of the changes that we have in this season is life groups. It's probably one of the most like significant things that you can do spiritually. I mean, there's two aspects of church, and both are important. One is this: you you, you come here in the presence of God, you allow you know a worship team uh, to worship, and you participate in that, and, and and you just allow the Spirit of God to speak to you in that, and you experience that, and you don't have to be particularly musical to enjoy that. And then I come up and I speak, and, and thankfully you guys didn't like, you know, ask me a whole bunch of questions and interrupt me. It's like you just let me do my thing, and I just talk to you, and hopefully, you know, Jesus speaks to you through what I'm saying, and it's like one-way communication, and that's just the way it should be. I don't want you to be like interrupting me. That's not, that's not fun. But if you get in a small group, then that dynamic changes. Then it's like we sit around in a circle, we're no longer in rows, and when we sit around in circles, you can interrupt me, and you can give me your thoughts and your opinions, and everybody else does, and, and we dialogue, and we discuss, and, and uh, you know, that's the way it works in a small group, and you need both. And so if you're going to grow spiritually, you, you need to find some small group to be part of. I mean, I'm glad you're here at church on Sunday. I, I, this is really important. I'm not dismissing that. But I know for many of you are thinking, geez, I just like getting to church once a month. That's a re- I'm a regular, you know. It's like <laughs> compared to all my friends, they go like maybe Easter and Christmas, and they consider themselves religious. You know, so somebody doesn't even go to church at all. I mean, you're a fanatic once a month. And yeah, you hear, you're hearing me tell you, not only do you need to come to church every Sunday, but you also need to be part of a small group. Yeah, that's exactly right. Now, you know, you had a great season in our church because we've got more small groups, life groups happening this fall than I think we've ever had. And I mean, we've got like really great groups. I mean, if you can't find a group that you're interested in, then I don't think the problem's with the groups. I think the problem's with you. I mean, we've got like every night of the week, different like variety. And, I, you know, just don't tell me you want the group that meets at like 930 you know, on a Monday night and finishes at 1.30. Oh, we don't have a group for that. But we've got like every other night of the week, day of the week. And, you know, Beth Newman just started MOPS, Mothers of Preschoolers. Her first meeting was yesterday. Just fantastic. I mean, Beth is sitting, I don't think anybody's going to show up. Oh, it's going to be people showed up from all over. Great group. Beth, well done. And I don't know if any, is anybody else in church actually part of your group? One, one fellow vineyardite, Woo! two of you in the group. Yeah, I just pray God blesses you and all your moms of preschoolers and that that's 
just an awesome group. Yeah. So find a group. Be part of a group. God is asking us to change. If you really want to get serious about change, part of change takes place with people. God uses people and uses relationship. And if we're in relationship with others, uh, there's a chance that we can change. Now, any small group, men's group, women's group, Bible study groups, life groups, you know, find a group. But go through what Jeff is putting out there and... uh, and find a group. Next Sunday, we're going to have the life group fair, as we mentioned. So, you know, this week, if you take the life group pamphlet and see which one you want to go to. Next week, if you've got questions, exactly what does this look like? And what kind of food you eat? And is it kosher? I mean, uh, is it gluten-free or whatever it might be? You can ask all those questions next week at the life group fair. That's what we'll do. So have a look through that. And uh, next week, we're also going to start a new sermon series, Turning Points. Uh, if you've got friends that you think would be uh, interested in this church or you know, experiencing church, uh, next week would be a great week to invite them. Uh, we're going to look at how does God transform us? What turned people from not following Jesus to following Jesus? What actually went, went on there? And can we relate to that? We'll look at that uh, next week. Uh, But today, uh, I want you to just consider change. I want you to consider the effort that it takes to change. I want you to consider what God is asking you to change. And uh, to do that, uh, you know, there's a a parable. It seems that we're finishing this summer series on parables. I'll just briefly finish with the parable of the lost coin. Uh, You're familiar with this parable, many of you. The parable says this. This is Luke 15, 8. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she will call her friends and neighbors and say, Rejoice with me because I've found my lost ring. I mean, my lost coin. (laughs) I mean, it's exactly what Jim did, right? Okay, I found my ring. Let me rejoice. You know, let me tell you how awesome God is. I was searching for this thing. It was precious. But here's the point I want to make. It took a lot of effort. It actually took a lot of effort on Jim's part, actually, to find the ring. I mean, he was, like, focused on it. He said, let's pray. I'm coming back with a metal detector. He's like, I'm going to leave notes at the lodge. And he reminded them about the lodge. Like, are you sure you got that note there? You sure you got the right number? You pinned it up in your... I mean, he was meticulous in following up and making sure. And then God did what God did. The point I'm trying to say with the lost coin is it took a lot of effort. It didn't just like happen. There needs to be some intentionality. We have to really desire for, for God and wanting God to change us for change to take, to take place. So uh, let's take communion uh, together. It's our first Sunday of the month. For those of you that are new, we do communion once a month, the first Sunday of the month. And, um, you know, this is... A time when we uh, do what Jesus told us to do. Uh, do this in remembrance of me. And we have bread and, and uh, grape juice. You know, our church in the fall, this is the fall, uh, in 1998, we started this church. So I think we, my math is right, 17 years old today or, you know, this fall. And 
I was just thinking, uh, when we get to 21, we'll switch from grape juice to wine, but until, <laughs> until then, we've got grape juice and gluten-free option, and like, you, you're going to connect with Jesus, just doing what Jesus says. Let me just uh, read uh, while I'm in the Gospel of Luke. The Last Supper, the account of the Last Supper. When the time came, Jesus and the apostles sat down together at the table. Jesus said, I have been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. For I tell you, now that I won't eat this meal again until the, the meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. Then he said, Take this and share it among yourselves. For I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. He took some bread and gave thanks to God for it, then broke it into pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this to remember me. After supper, he took another cup of wine and said, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you, a new covenant. God is doing something new. Uh, why don't you just stand? I want you to reach across and just grab someone's hand. I know they're full of germs and all the rest, but you know what? Uh, we are community. Uh, Jesus, we just... Uh, we, we just uh, reach out uh, in a symbol of unity, uh, just uh, reaching out to our neighbor, our friends. Uh, Lord, just asking for your blessing on our lives. Lord, asking for you to do stuff in our lives uh, that we can't do for ourselves. Lord, we, we acknowledge that uh, you have set in place a new covenant, something new. Uh, we acknowledge, Lord, that it takes change and that you want to change us into something new. And that it's a constant process where you're changing us. So, uh, Jesus, as we take communion today, we're we, we saying to you, please uh, change us. Uh, we give you the freedom to move in our lives, uh, to do something new, to do something great, to do something that you want to do in us. And we, we yield to you, Lord Jesus. And we ask you, Lord, to speak to us. Because you are mysterious, but you are loving, and your ways are great. And sometimes they're hard for us to comprehend. But Lord, we just ask you to transform us. I pray blessing on your people. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. I just want Kevin to come on up and share if this is pertinent to any of you. I just ask you to uh, respond to the Lord. Uh, this morning as we were praying, uh, there was a sense that um, if anyone feels like they need uh, wisdom in their life, uh, whatever area it might be, uh, wisdom in your parenting, grandparenting, relationships, workplace, finances, health, uh, I believe the Lord wants to give you wisdom today. And then secondly, for those who feel like... Um, there's a verse, Jesus talks about us being lukewarm, and he wants us to be hot for him. Um, 
For anybody who feels like you're you're lukewarm with, with God this morning, I believe he wants to uh, make you passionate again for him. Um, so if that's you, I just encourage you to come up for prayer. If you'd like prayer for anything else, we, we'd love to pray with you. You're welcome to just hang out, uh, spend some time praying, come forward for prayer. Or uh, if you want to get in conversation, take it out in the, the lobby. Just allow a little bit of uh, quiet space here. But uh, our service is over. Bless you guys. Have a great week. Uh, for those of you heading off to college or you haven't already headed off, uh, bless you. Uh, and may the Lord be with you in all this change uh, many of the teens are experiencing particularly. Bless you guys.